0: Welcome to the Taishin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by Sub China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Taishin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Taishin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. It has been a busy week in the world of China business, both internationally and nationally. Internationally, there was the high profile U.S. China meeting in Alaska, while nationally, We saw the annual Consumer Rights Show take aim at some of China's biggest brands. Whether you are listening to this in China or abroad, I am sure there will be something of interest for you this week. Here is everything you need to know about China and the world of business. China and the new U.S. Biden administration concluded their first high-level face-to-face meeting last Saturday in Anchorage, Alaska, with an open show of disagreement. After one open session of heated arguments and two sessions of closed-door discussions, Politburo member Yang Jiechi, Foreign Minister Wang Yi, and their U.S. counterparts, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, ended their two-day engagement without issuing a joint statement. In his opening remarks Friday, Blinken said the U.S. had, quote, deep concerns with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, and economic coercion toward our allies, end quote. Yang Jiechi, meanwhile, hit back, saying, quote, our history will show that one only ends up hurting himself if he tries to strangle or suppress the Chinese people. China is firmly opposed to U.S. interference in China's internal affairs, end quote. China CITIC Bank, one of China's largest commercial lenders, was fined 4.5 million yuan, approximately $692,000, for flaws in how it protects customers' private information, the top banking industry regulator said Friday. The China Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission cited inadequate protection of customers' information breaches in customer data collection, and flaws in managing clients' sensitive data and internal management. China's regulators are increasingly stepping up oversight of data security amid growing complaints about leaks and concerns over how customers' data is used. The annual Consumer Rights Show of China's national broadcaster this year took aim at bathroom fittings maker Kohler, over facial recognition tech in its stores while an Alibaba-backed web browser was faulted for promoting dubious healthcare products. Known as the 315 show, the show has aired on CCTV every March 15th since 1991 to mark World Consumer Rights Day and targets companies over a range of issues. The chairman of Pinduoduo, Huang Zheng, who also goes by Colin Huang, surprised everyone last week by announcing that he would be leaving the e-commerce giant. Pinduoduo was a relative newcomer to China's e-commerce scene, but that hasn't stopped it from becoming the largest player in the country's market, unseating longtime leader Alibaba late last year. On giving up the chairman's post, Huang said he would entrust the voting rights connected with his shares to the company's board of directors. Analysis by Caixin suggests that even with all shares of the company reverting to equal value, Huang could still hold the largest stake, and thus the largest voting stake, at just under 30%. China announced that it is carrying out a trial program in Beijing and Shenzhen to facilitate certain multinational firms' cross-border use of funds, a move that should advance the country's push for the greater internationalization of the yuan. Under the trial, The selected multinationals will be allowed to combine their cross-border multiple-currency and yuan cash pools into a single pool and also buy foreign currencies at will within certain limits for overseas payments. Three emergency response officials in Yantai, Shandong province, were placed under investigation over the past week. In an unfolding anti-graft campaign triggered by two deadly mining incidents in the northeastern city, the three being probed for principle and law violations include Yu Ping, deputy director of the Yantai Emergency Management Bureau; Zhang Guangmin, a senior inspector at the bureau; and Liu Tongyun, an official overseeing gold mine safety. The investigations followed two deadly goldmine incidents that killed at least 16 people in the city. And finally, I I Land, China's and possibly the world's first-ever silicon sex doll experience brothel, has been shut down by Shenzhen officials. The police who directed the operation did not provide any reason or details, but some legal experts suggested that they targeted the brothel due to hygiene concerns. Real human prostitution is strictly prohibited in China, and so Li Bo, the owner of Land, launched his sex doll service two years ago, spotting both a legal loophole and a gap in the market, locating the brothel close to the Shenzhen Foxconn factory complex, where over 80% of the workers are men. Let's do a deeper dive into a big story in the news this week, and turn to Taishin Global Financial News Reporter Tang Zi to talk about it.
1: Hello, Kaiser.
0: Hey, Zi. Welcome to the show. So, so in the past week, there's been some big news about Vanguard, which is, of course, one of the world's largest asset managers. And the story seems to be about how Vanguard has more or less abandoned its so-called "go it alone" plan in China and is working instead on a joint venture with fintech giant Ant Group. So before we get into the joint venture, why don't we start with its original plan uh, to go solo in China?
1: Yeah, so the suspension of its license application marks a major turnaround in Vanguard's China strategy. Um, Before, Vanguard said it had dropped plans to set up a wholly-owned mutual fund company uh, it said in August that it would wind down its Hong Kong operations and its primary office in Asia would be located to Shanghai given its plan to focus more on the Chinese mainland and in September Vanguard announced it was preparing to apply for a license for a wholly owned mutual fund unit and that it had had a former financial regulator as general manager of the subsidiary.
0: Okay, uh, but then Vanguard walked away from these plans. Do you have a good idea of why this happened?
1: Yeah, so um, the reason Vanguard gave in its press release is that the company believes it can bring more value to investors through the joint venture advisory. In light of the large existing field of mutual funds and a small market for direct distribution of funds. Um, But there has been speculation that Vanguard may have been deterred by the process of growing the business on its own by administrative red tape. So um, according to China's securities law, Foreign fund companies are not allowed to share documents about their securities-related activities on the mainland with overseas entities without the permission of the China Securities Regulatory Commission, China's top securities regulator, and other relevant central government bodies. So some industry insiders said that means foreign firms have to go through a time-consuming process of building a completely new and independent management system on the mainland before starting such businesses. Also, it remains unclear whether Vanguard's direct sales model in which the firm sells mutual funds to its clients can work for China. In China, banks and tech giants dominate distribution channels and help fund companies to sell these financial products in exchange for a commission.
0: And so this big tie-up between Ant Group and Vanguard, what do we know so far about the collaboration?
1: Yeah, so the joint venture is 51% owned by Ant Group and 49% by the U.S. fund manager. And the venture obtained regulatory approval to offer investment advisory services to retail clients in late 2019. And In April last year, the venture launched a robo-advisory investment service on Ant Group's financial service app, Alipay. And then there's the Bonito app. Its name is Mandarin for Help You Invest. So this digital platform provides automated investment advice based on algorithms using the Vanguard Global Capital Markets Model. So users can set parameters such as target yield and risk appetite, which are then used to come up with computer-generated portfolio suggestions. The service carried a minimum investment requirement of 800 yuan or about 120 U.S. dollars, and it also charges users a annual fee equivalent to 0.5% of assets under management. Um, according to Bloomberg News, the service customer base almost doubled to 940,000 at the end of February from about 500,000 at the end of last year. And its asset under management jumped 60% during the same period to 6.9 billion yuan, or roughly 1 billion U.S. dollars. However, some industry insiders have questioned the money-making potential of investment advisory services, as Chinese investors have traditionally not paid for advice and are still reluctant to do so. The service could also face regulatory challenges as Chinese authorities tighten scrutiny of the country's fintech giants, uh, especially Ant Group.
0: Okay, very interesting stuff, and especially this observation that Chinese investors still seem reluctant to actually pay for advice. Uh, thanks, Z, and we uh, look forward to having you back again on the show soon. Thank you. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Here's stories from Caixin Global, SubChina, and many other China-focused outlets on the new China Stories podcast and for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com.